Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I am Alex Burr, joined for the first time in a while by my good friend, former co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition, throwing a curveball when you expect a fastball. Describe to the audience what tour life is like. Uh, Well, it's definitely different. Um, So... Before I did that or this, you know, it was weekly podcast with Alex Burr. It was sitting in the chair I'm sitting in for hours a day, writing about the stock market and staring at my window, wondering if life has anything better to offer. (laughs) Because I will admit, man, during those winter months, it was tough, like living inside just staring at a computer all day for months was tough. And this, this podcast was a nice outlet to actually have, you know, some human discussion and things of that nature. So that was nice. But um, living on the road is way different. It's uh, pretty exhausting, but also like, I, I always tell people I'm surprised I'm not more tired than I am. Because if you just think about it, you're traveling across the country in a van, which is more comfortable than it sounds like and also less comfortable than like anyone is used to, you know, like you can lay down and sleep like that's possible, but you're also driving on the road. It's very shaky and it's not as comfortable as just sleeping in a bed every night. Um, but, and we do stay in hotels. It's not like we're living in the van the whole time, but like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work and it's very like, it's not every night, but it's four to five days a week. But every time the show starts, it kind of feels like it's like you get reinvigorated by that. And like anyone that's a fan of live music can understand you know, when, when you go to a concert, you just have a fun time and it's really great. And I do that every night. You know, I get to see live music every single night and be around really cool people that I've never been able to be around before and talking to fans. Like I'm, I've probably met over a thousand people just in the past few months, you know, doing this. So it's really cool. And you get to meet a ton of different people and see a ton of different places and, cultures and try different food and it's cool and definitely um nice to be south during the winter which i got to do a lot of um so so it's it's cool but it's also fun to be back in indiana and just play golf and talk hoops with alex burr all right a couple more questions for you because this so let me let me set this up this is going to be a different power hour than anything we've done before really Dylan's going to be driving the ship more than me I'm going to be answering the questions and Dylan will be asking them which is usually the opposite of how it went under the old arrangement but I have, I have a couple more tour questions for you what city had your favorite food oh man that's a good question 
I mean, I feel like the easy answer is New York City because they just have every kind of food in the world. <laughs> How long were you guys in New York for? Uh, we were we were there for a day, which is most places. And that's that is one thing that's a little annoying is like I always say that because people always ask me where my favorite places I've visited are. And like it's hard to give a good answer because we're in these cities, but we're not really visiting the cities, if that makes sense. Like a lot of the time we get to a city at like 4 p.m., which is when we are supposed to load in to the venue. We do the show and then we drive, you know, sometimes like an hour or two out after the show to get closer to the next city. So a lot of times we're in a city and we don't actually get to see it much. And luckily for New York City, we were traveling from Philadelphia, which is another city I didn't really get to see much of because we just got there and left. But, you know, it's like a, it was like an hour drive from where we stayed at a little bit outside of Philly. So we got there early and we just kind of walked around, you know, and we went to this Greek place. It was right next to this dance parade. So there's just a bunch of like it was just like really fun. Like New York City is a place I thought I would hate because I typically don't love being around a ton of people and a ton of noise, like all at once, which I know it sounds doesn't make sense. Cause I go to concerts every night. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different for that, but like, I don't love cities, like just being around people and noise, all that. But New York city was different. It was like, like I felt very comfortable. It's kind of weird. Like, People talk about the energy in New York City, and I think it's, like, real. Like, you have to kind of go there and feel it. It's a fun place to be, and, you know, we got – I got to walk around a good amount, more than most cities. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't get to delve into all the food I wanted to, but that Greek place was pretty damn good. So, that's that's my soft answer for that. If I thought about it more, I could probably – come up with a better answer. Um, but that's what I have for now. This is not intended as a shot at your band, but I'm just curious if you could pick a city that you wish you had more time in, which city would you pick? Mm. Well, I mean, New York city would probably be one cause there's so much to do. Uh, like we, we've gone to basically, every big city in the country, like outside of Chicago and like the Texas cities. Like I didn't really get to spend a ton of time in San Francisco. Didn't get to spend a ton of time in LA. Um, we spent a lot of time in Florida. That's one thing we did do. Uh, but yeah, New York city or like San Francisco or LA would have been cool to see a little bit more than we did. Um, but I'm sure we'll have, more chances in the future. We are going back to New York city in August, I think. So I'll have a second chance then. You got to find, you know, more authentic food in New York city. I think not saying there's not authentic food in Indy, but I feel like there's just more diversity in a place like New York. That's so big. And I feel like you got to try and get that. Did you get that? Did you get a chance to have any Memphis barbecue? Um, shockingly, no. And I went to Memphis twice in this, in this tour and I did not 
get to have Memphis barbecue, um, which is really depressing. We also went to Kansas City to knock at Kansas City barbecue. We are going back to Kansas City in August as well. So that time I'm going to put my foot down, I think, and get some Kansas City barbecue. Um, Memphis barbecue is maybe a little bit further out, but I will one day have some that, that, that I can guarantee. Realistically, we don't live that far from Memphis. No, it's like six hour drive. I, it might be eight. Memphis is kind of far. Like Memphis isn't where you think it is. (laughs) Yeah, Memphis is really weird because it's in the corner of Tennessee. So you can go to Arkansas and Mississippi within like 15 minutes of Memphis. Like you can touch three States in 15 to 20 minutes. Like Memphis is the very bottom corner of Tennessee. (laughs) It really is. And Tennessee is a lot bigger than you think too. So yeah, there's that last, last to our question. And it does pertain to Memphis. Okay. Did you see the pyramid, the Bass Pro Shop? What did you think of the pyramid? I saw it like three times because Memphis was somehow like a hub for us traveling from city to city. Cause we did go to Arkansas. We went to little rock and then we went to Clarksdale, Mississippi. And then we went to Memphis twice. So I got to see the pyramid a few times and it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's, it's something you see from far away. Uh, you know, it, it really stands out. And I'm looking forward to going inside it one day. Um, we did go to the largest Bass Pro Shop in the world, which is in Springfield, Missouri. And it is literally a mall that is just Bass Pro. And How it is, is that pyramid not the largest Bass Pro Shop? It is literally a mall that is Bass Pro. It's like it's spread out more, obviously, like the Bass Pro Pyramid is is a vertical ordeal. Um, but it is the Bass Pro Mall, basically. It's like really cool because it's like, you know, the malls that we're used to are just like bullshit, concrete, fluorescent light type of thing. And the Bass Pro one is like all wood. It's got like all kind of like fish tanks and animals throughout it. It's really cool. Um, but so I've been to that, but I have not gone inside the pyramid, but one day, cause, cause the band is like really into fishing. So Bass Pro is their thing. So we'll go inside it and I'm excited for that. I would guess they've been in the pyramid way before. And I'm guessing this would not be their first (laughs) rodeo inside the Bass Pro Pyramid based on everything you just told me. I I just remember I've only been to Memphis once seeing that pyramid and realizing it was a Bass Pro shop. It was one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen because because the you see the pyramid when you're crossing over from Arkansas, right? Like you're crossing the bridge, yeah. And then you see the pyramid. The pyramid used to be like a basketball arena, which mm. makes a lot more sense. The Bass Pro only opened in like 2015, I want to say. So it's only been a Bass Pro for a couple of years. But hey, anytime you can make a gaudy building like that into a Bass Pro shop, you got to do it, right? So, yeah, I think the story behind it is that like some rich guy lost a bet or something. So he had to turn the pyramid into a Bass Pro. Like, I think 
I mean, you know, fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So that, and that is the most rich person in the South thing to do, I think is to buy a pyramid and make it into a Bass Pro Shop. I am not going to fact check you because I want to believe that is hundred percent accurate without verification. So I'm going to just do a little thing called taking your word for it. Now I think it is time we should get into the basketball. That was a fun little discussion of Dylan's life for the past couple of months. Dylan, like I was saying earlier, has some questions for me because he hasn't really had a chance to follow the basketball, you know, as much he's been off for about the last week. He caught what I would say the last game of the, Western Conference Finals and then last couple of games of the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you think of those real quick before you start asking me the questions? Uh, I mean, the West Finals was kind of already cemented. Um, and I had some chances to watch earlier games, but this playoffs has just been blowout central. And I just didn't really have a ton of interest in watching you know, the Mavericks get blown out. And then the next night, the Warriors get blown out somehow. Uh, So, you know, I didn't watch much of that. It is kind of fun to see like this new iteration of the Warriors have success where, you know, Jordan Poole has like exploded into this just awesome player. That's a great compliment to, you know, the trio that we all know and love or maybe not all of us love them, uh, but me and Alex do. And, you know, it, it's been fun. I, I love, like, all their bench players. You know, it's Otto Porter getting a chance to be impactful is cool to watch. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited to see the Warriors back in the finals. And me and Alex have been having, you know, discussions about, Steph Curry's legacy and all that and 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 what this title could mean and I think it's really going to be interesting like you know there's really no chance of Steph Curry ever being considered better than LeBron but it's pretty interesting how LeBron the past two seasons like his teams have been terrible and if Steph wins another finals like I don't, there, there's going to be some very interesting discussions this summer from Stephen, the Stephen A's of the world. <laughs> if Steph Curry wins another ring, um, and on the Celtics side, like the Celtics and Heat, it was one of those series where you couldn't tell if it was just awesome defense or horrific offense going on. And I think a lot of times it was great offense or great defense. Um, but man, there was some real stinkers in that series where like the heat specifically could just not score points. And, you know, we can discuss that more exactly what happened there. There was a lot of, like, it makes sense why they couldn't score a lot of points some nights, but the Celtics, the Celtics really interesting how this season has played out for them. It wasn't long ago when people were saying, should they break up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was not that long ago. I said it on our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it was a discussion had and, you know, we definitely talked some Jalen Brown trades and I think, I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm going to look back with rose colored glasses or whatever the saying is and 
you know, I, I think ultimately I, I didn't think breaking them up was a great idea because having two awesome wing scores that are good defenders as well. Like it's hard to justify breaking that up, but you know, whatever they did, you know, getting Derek white and things of that nature seemed to just have turned the tides for them and getting Al Horford like back, I think really um, helped them. And you could see throughout that series Horford, because that was the only series I really saw of them. Like you can just see the difference Horford makes. And I just love Rob Williams and like those two together on both ends, I think were really, you know, integral to getting, uh, getting them here. So it, it's been interesting how the, how the season's played out for both teams. And, you know, we can talk about the Celtics like to start because the Celtics had a pretty kind of tough run at least on paper to get to this point, but they, they were able to do it. Oh, for sure. I mean, so I looked up best NBA records since January 14th. The Suns finished 33 and nine. The Celtics finished 30 and 10. They finished with 51 wins. So by my math, that means they were 21 and they were 500 at one point, which is ridiculous how they, I didn't, JD and I didn't harp enough about this on the last power hour. Their turnaround midseason to making the finals, as shaky as that path appeared at times, was ridiculously, was just legitimately insane how fast they turned around. And, you know, you know, our friend Caleb Lynn, you know, he likes to taunt. He likes to be the guy that, you know, says, I told you so. I like to be that too, but he's like, I told you not to doubt the Celtics. I'm like, everyone was doubting, doubting the Celtics because you Dylan, you remember that game that they played the Knicks? That was during our week where RJ Barry hit that bank three. That was during our that was during our last Celtics week. And it looked so grim for the Celtics. And then they just ripped off a run of tremendous proportions. But is your first question Celtics related, Dylan? Um, it's not really. I don't have like a specific order that I wanted to go in, but since we're talking about them, I feel like it's, it's good to start there. I mean, since it was, you know, so shaky in the beginning, like what, what do you think were the biggest reasons why they were able to turn this around? And like, was Derek white single-handedly that big of a difference maker? Was he just kind of one part of it? I think there were multiple parts to it. I think around January, Ime knew there were parts he had to cut out of his rotation, right? If you remember the first or the first couple we did, you know, Langford was still on the team fighting for minutes, Josh Richardson, Enos Cantor. They had a lot of guys on the team that were worth playing time, right? I think Ime saw that and cut that out of his rotation and Schroeder forgot about Schroeder. Mm, So I think getting Derek white and removing Dennis Schroeder honestly might've been the biggest difference in this team. But I think there's just a lot of factors, right? Al Horford found the fountain of youth. <laughs> I, I mean, him going to Oklahoma City last year and not playing the second half of that season is probably the best thing that could have happened to him. They've had a lot of like Nick, like ticky tack injuries, right? Like 
Rob Williams tore his meniscus, but he came back somehow for the first round of the playoffs. He's very clearly not healthy, but he has been trying his best out there. Right. I can't take that away from him. Al or Marcus Smart has missed like some assorted time with some, I think it's some ankle injuries, but he, for the most part has played a lot of this postseason. So they've had more stability at the guard spot than I think they have the entire, the entire Tatum and Brown run. Cause think about the point guards they've cycled through just during Jalen Brown's time there, right? Obviously Brown's been there longer than Tatum since Brown was a rookie. His rookie season was that Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley team. Second year, it was the Kyrie Irving year. That was also the year that Kyrie missed the playoffs and they made the conference finals with a Terry Rozier. Then in 19, it's Kyrie for the full year. And we saw how that went 20. It's Kemba Walker. We saw how that went with him getting injured, injured again. Funny enough, the last two years were probably their most stable since in Jalen Brown's tenure. And then this year, they're just like, oh, hey, Marcus, you're going to be the point guard now. We're done bringing in these guys to try to be the point guard. You're just going to run the show. So I think there's a lot of different factors. I'd say Derek White handling the second unit while Marcus Smart actually is proving to be a good point guard because none of us thought he was going to be a point guard in his whole career. I'm sure you have more thoughts like from earlier in his career, but I don't think anyone saw this coming from Mark. Like if I told you in 2017 that Marcus Smart was going to be a good point guard, what would you have told me? I mean, I would have been dubious. I, I thought, and I'm trying to remember the year, it may have been like 2019 or 2020. I really wanted Marcus Mart to go to the Suns because I thought him and Devin Booker would find a good balance where you can get the passing and the shooting and all that. And it wouldn't really rely too much on either one of them because up to that point, Devin Booker, you know, was carrying the load. He was having to suffer through Tyler Eulis and players like that at the point guard uh, position. And Marcus Smart, you know, had proven that, like, the more he has the ball in his hands, the more he's going to just jack up threes that should never go up. Um, and I, I don't think he's necessarily gotten rid of those completely either. He has not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this team makes more sense for him to be a point guard because – you know, the ball is going through Tatum and Brown so much anyway, where he doesn't have to be this, you know, Chris Paul type of guy. And also having Horford there as a facilitator, you know, kind of takes takes some pressure off him too. So, like, it makes sense why it works. And this team seems to be the team that really just says, let's get our five best players on the floor at once and just see what happens. And what has happened is they've been awesome. And I still think most of that definitely comes from Tatum and Brown. For sure. Being what they are. Uh, but as we've seen from watching basketball for a long time, is that you can have two awesome players and not even come close to sniffing the finals. It's, it's those other guys that chip in what needs to be chipped in uh, to make it happen. And that's kind of what the Celtics have been, been working through for years. And like Tatum and Brown are definitely the best they've ever been. And that's probably the biggest difference maker, but 
there's been a lot of shuffling, as you talked about, at point guard specifically over the years and getting a more solidified situation. And what I think is cool from the little I've seen is Derek White off the bench, like he's able to do what he was doing in San Antonio without like having to care as much, I feel like where he can just throw up threes and like attack closeouts and, you know, throw up a floater. And like, that's all he has to do. Like he doesn't really have to do much, but he can score like 11 points in three minutes, you know? And like, that can be a huge difference maker. And that's why, and we talked about how San Antonio needed to trade one of those guys. And we thought it was going to be Derek white and it ended up being Derek white and him going to the Celtics. I just think was the perfect fit where like, he's not going to be awesome every night. Like he's just not a player that's going to put up 20 points a night. He's just not that type of guy. But again, he can put up 11 points in three minutes. And when you have such a solid situation around that, it's, it's like the perfect fit. And I think figuring all that out with, Schroeder and Josh Richardson and, you know, kind of trimming the fat in that department and getting someone like white in there and then getting Marcus smart uh, into a position like, like he's in now, it it seems like it's just really flowed seamlessly. It has. And I I will say there have been some hiccups, these playoffs, right? (laughs) Jalen Brown inexplicably forgot how to dribble multiple times this postseason, right? (laughs) I, I don't know how it happened. Tatum, you can count on having one like three for 14 game every series. Now, has he bounced back from that three for 14 game every series? Yes, he has. He was horrible in, I think it was game five, right? Against Milwaukee. Game six, he has probably the best game of his life, dropping 46 to beat like Dylan in game six of that. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that game. Game six of the Bucks. Boston series, they held off a Giannis in game six against Phoenix last year, kind of performance. Mm. Like Giannis had 44 points, 20 rebounds. He was making his free throws. He was doing, he was not trying to lose that game and they still lost because Tatum was that guy. Right. And then game seven, Grant Williams shoots eight of 19. That's another thing too. That's another piece is that Grant Williams. I think we both agree. Grant Williams had a horrible year in 2021. This year, he has bounced back in a major way. He's been a huge piece for their defense. And he, when he's actually shooting it, he's making threes. So the Bucks just left him wide open in game seven. They're like, we're going to make Grant Williams beat us. And he beat them. You know, part of the hubris of Bud, in a sense. But he did beat them. So you don't make the finals without getting a lot of luck, right? Like, the Nets was a shit show all year. I don't, we don't need to go into that. The Bucks were missing Chris Middleton. The Heat were pretty injured that whole series. Tyler Hero couldn't even play. Like Tyler Hero tried to play in game seven. And he looked, as you can attest to, he looked terrible in game seven. But you can look at every other team that makes the finals any other year and be like, oh, they got a lot of luck on the way, right? Like, like even the, last year's Bucks, we, I think we both agreed they were a worthy champion. If Katie's foot is an inch behind the line, we're not talking about the box because he almost ended their season, but he didn't. And the Celtics to me are a worthy Eastern conference champion. I thought the heat would have been a worthy Eastern conference champion as well. I don't think there was really any fault with either of those teams. I thought the warriors were a worthy Western conference champion, even in spite of some luck they had. Do you have any other questions about the Celtics or 
No, I mean, I think we can kind of move on to some of these other East teams. And I guess we could start with the Heat since they were the most recent loser. Um, So, you know, the Heat, despite seemingly adding depth, somehow got to the end of the season with no depth. And uh, the main thing is, is Duncan Robinson. I mean, Duncan Robinson last year and really the past couple of years was just unbelievably good as a shooter specifically. And, you know, had a role in the heat making the finals a couple of years ago and now sucks and is not playing. So what what exactly happened there? So I don't think he got any worse as a basketball player. I think teams just figured out how to guard what they like to do, right? And let's be real, Dylan, they only ran one thing with Duncan Robinson or two things with Duncan Robinson. He was either running off of two screens and getting threes that way, or he was doing the bam at a bio handoff. This year, teams like they just trapped the handoff, right? And Duncan Robinson's not Steph Curry. (laughs) You know, I thought he got a lot better passing out of the double teams and traps this year, but for the most part, he's not going to, either split this, the trap or pass it to Bam to make a play on the roll, right? That's not Duncan Robinson's game. Never will, never has been, never will be. The other thing I think that happened was on those pin downs, right? I think teams just started switching those, not letting him get any space. When he got space, he was making threes this series. And to be honest, Dylan, I thought going away from him and going with Struce was a massive mistake. And JD and I talked about it multiple times on the power hour because he added an element of movement to their offense, right? And yeah, just because he might not be making threes, he's still being guarded like he's a top shooter. He was still like, they were giving him a lot of defensive attention and Struce just didn't do that. Struce made a couple, I'll give Struce this. He made a couple tough threes in game six, or sorry, game seven. He made that one fadeaway to make it 98, 96, like from 25 feet out. It was a crazy shot. I didn't think it was going in. But I still I would have trusted Robinson in that spot. I think whatever the defensive difference is between Struess and Robinson, you I think the Heat just needed that element of movement in their offense because otherwise they were just iso ball the entire time, and that's not the way you win against a, a team like the Celtics, right? You need movement. I thought that was the Bucks' fatal mistake too. Like they needed movement against that Celtics defense and they just couldn't generate it because they refused to play the player who moves the best on their team. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the benefit of having like an elite shooter is that whether they're making shots or not, they're always beneficial as at least a decoy or something like that. And man, if you're starting Max Struess, Winning playoff games is going to be tough. <laughs> and like Max Drews and Gabe Vincent are both guys I like. And we talked about them earlier in the season as players that were kind of nothing. And then all of a sudden this year were pretty good role players. But I mean, by the end, it was those two guys and Oladipo. And I mean, we don't even need to talk about Oladipo. Like he, it's just kind of sad you know, trying to watch him. And, like, he has his moments that he's really, really fun. And, I mean, I, I don't know what exactly happened. It's just the injuries over the past few years, I guess, have really, really just changed his explosiveness and his ability to, you know, finish 
uh, around guys and all that. But I mean, and even Lowry was pretty underwhelming. I mean, this was really a point. And if you look at the box score for game seven, that kind of says it all. Like, I feel like for what the series was, where it was Butler and Adebayo, and there just wasn't a ton around them, like those two staples. And it's like, just like we're talking about with the Celtics, like you can have two awesome players. It's everyone around them that kind of completes that puzzle though. And I feel like that series was kind of a perfect tell of that, where the Celtics had that additional support around Tatum and Brown and the Heat. They had their two staples, and Butler those last two games was just unbelievable. But, you know, everyone else just really shit the bed, basically. And I mean, I think another factor, too, that J.D. and I didn't really get into on Sunday, PJ, I think J.D. mentioned it in passing, but I didn't really talk about it. P.J. Tucker didn't play at all in the second half of that game. I think they probably held him out because he was pretty banged up. And when P.J. Tucker can't play, that's a bad sign. But think this is this was always my issue with the Heat's offense, right? You have Jimmy, who's not a shooter, right? This series, he, this series, he shot probably the most threes he has in any like seven game stretch, right? He shot twenty four threes. He made seven of them, including that you know famous or infamous pull up at the end of Game Seven, right? Bam's not a shooter either, and the and the Celtics. I think something smart they did was they started playing like the Bucks. They're like, okay, Jimmy, we're not going to switch off the pick and roll because that's going to give you the advantage. We're going to play in a drop. And if, if guys like Duncan Robinson aren't out there to help you take advantage of that drop, because let's be real, Dylan, who killed the Bucks playing drop coverage more than Duncan Robinson the last few years? I don't think anyone has. And Goran, maybe Goran Dragic in 2020, but that's about it. And it just is, I don't understand why Spo went away from him, right? Because you're not going to, the whole issue with Duncan Robinson always and always has, always will be confidence, right? Is he going to want to shoot the ball even in tough situations? And you know, it's not going to help his confidence, not playing him. That's, that's totally, you know, that's a confidence booster, Dylan. Every time I'm not in the game because I'm not making shots, that's going to make me want to shoot when you do decide to put me out there. It's it's just such backwards thinking from Spo. And I respect Spo a lot as a coach. I just didn't agree with that decision at all. It'd be like, I think the difference between him and Ty Lue is that Ty Lue would trust Luke Kennard. I think Ty Lue trusts Luke Kennard, even though Luke Kennard is not the greatest defensive player. He's one of the best shooters in the league. I don't know why you wouldn't trust one of your best shooters in a spot like that. It just, it defies all logic and explanation. Yeah, and the Heat's success, specifically against the Bucks, the past few years, was something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast because it just never made sense to us why the Bucks continued to play that way on defense. And it's why I don't think we really believed in them last year for winning the finals until they really got far enough because it seemed like Bud was starting to finally kind of change some things up. But, I mean, the Heat just killed them playing that way. And you would think he wouldn't have such a short memory and would remember, like, this is what's possible. You know, if you – it's almost like he kind of gave up, like, strategizing or something where 
he could have figured out maybe another way to get Duncan involved or, or like you said, just throw him out there as a decoy and open some space up. But he kind of just folded in and went with players that weren't as good. <laughs> that's, and I, I just, I've never trusted Strews this whole time. And maybe that's a me problem, but I've always seen him out there and like, I don't feel like this guy, he didn't score, I don't think, between games three and five. I could be wrong. He probably scored like maybe a couple points, but there was a couple game stretch where he was scoreless. I know that for a fact. I'm pretty sure he did not score in game four. Let's see, game four, Max Struess. Game four, Ofer in game four. Game five wasn't much better. At game five, he had four points on four free throws. That's not going to get it done when you need a guy to be that shooter, that floor spacer, right? Him and PJ Tucker are the two floor spacers in that starting lineup. And if you want to be technical, Kyle Lowry is also a floor spacer, but he's not a floor spacer in the traditional sense. So those three guys in game five combined for one for 17. Jimmy, for some reason, shot five threes in that game, one for five. Duncan Robinson off the bench, three for 10. The only person who got something going. And you don't pay a guy $18 million to not play him in the playoffs. That's you guys paid him, right? It's not like the Mavs, right? The Mavs brought in Davis Bertans. They have no attachment to him other than they just traded him for Chris Asforzingas, right? So you could give him DMP CDs. No one would probably bat an eye, but you paid this guy. You paid Duncan Robinson. He didn't say, oh, oh, I'm going to steal $90 million from Mickey Harrison's bank account. You paid him. I just, I don't understand the lack of faith in him. And honestly, I they got to trade him. They just have to because there's no coming back from this because you crossed the point of no return by giving him so few minutes of this whole playoffs. There's no way he played every playoff game by like game five of the Atlanta series. They ditched him. It just in a game one in game one against Atlanta, Dylan, he had eight threes. He was eight for nine from three. I, I just don't understand the logic. You had, you got to have faith in your guy. You have to, you got to have faith. He'll bust out of whatever slump he's in. And they, they just didn't have it. I don't know how this would happen, but I think we need to get him to the Bucks. Get him to the Bucks, and it's game over. I personally would just, I would tell him to put on like 30 pounds, stay in, you know, decent shape. I just haven't played the four. He's big. Yeah. There's no reason to have him be a two, like as good of a shooter as he is. You just play him at the four. That's how he stays on the court defensively. It's just by banging with bigger guys. Yeah. How much do you think Duncan Robinson weighs? Oh, man. Let's say, hmm, let's say 215. You can hit the nail on the head exactly. Wow. I I could see him getting up to 230, still being able to run off screens the way he is. Yeah. And just being like a decoy that way while being able to guard force. That's how Marvin Williams stayed in the league for so long. Marvin Williams is like maybe an inch or two taller than Duncan Robinson. I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Anything else on the heat? Or are you ready to move on to your next question? Let's move on. Um, this is going to be my last East question. And really, it's an all-encompassing what happened to the Sixers. Where to begin? Um 
It all started when this man named Sam Hinkie came over from the Houston Rockets. And no, so this is, I think, what happened, okay? In the Harden trade, you cannibalized your depths, right? So you trade Harden, you trade for Harden and Paul Millsap, who's beyond what? We've said he's washed since his last year in Denver. Yeah. He's beyond washed at this point. And you trade for those two guys, right? Paul Millsap is immediately unplayable. He was on, he was so bad. He didn't play in Brooklyn, right? You trade to, I think trading Simmons for Harden straight up. I don't think I would have gotten it done. Right. But what you sent to Brooklyn, in addition to Simmons was Seth Curry, a guy who we both thought was electric this year. And Andre Drummond, who is without a doubt, the most overqualified backup center in the league. And he was starting as soon as he got to Brooklyn. You trade those two guys. Now you're having to play. Embiid missed the first two games of the Miami series. Cause Pascal Siakam broke his face, right? In a game. (laughs) That's really where this all starts. Game six of the, Eastern Conference first round against the Toronto Raptors. Pascal Siakam goes elbows out. Don't remember the play exactly. Elbows out, hits Joel in the face, right? Breaks a couple bones in his face. Then the, the Heat series starts. You're already at a massive disadvantage, and Doc Rivers decides the best answer is to play his guy, DeAndre Jordan, right? He does not stick with DeAndre Jordan very long. Paul Reed ends up getting Paul Reed G League MVP B-Ball Paul, as he's known in some circles, ends up getting the lion's share of the minutes at center. But those DeAndre minutes are so catastrophic, you end up losing the game anyway. Right. Then Joel comes back in Philadelphia wearing the mask. He's clearly not himself, but he's trying his hardest. Right. Game three, you win just based on the strength of the Heat not getting the same layups they were getting the first two games. I don't think the Heat were trying the first two games and they still won. Because in game three, the difference was so stark. They only scored 79 points simply because Joel was in, was able to park his ass in the paint, right? Game four, Jimmy comes out strong, but James Harden has his best playoff game since he was in Houston and they win. And then games five and six, you could tell that Joel's energy was starting to leave him. And game six, I don't remember the final score of game six, is a lot closer than it appeared. Or it was a lot closer than it actually the score would have indicated. So let's see. Yeah, they won game six by nine. It was not that close. And Joel just didn't have enough with all, because he also injured his thumb, right? He just, I think actually some news we can talk about. He just had surgery on his thumb. So game six, Joel Embiid, seven for 24, two of eight from three, only to get to the foul line four times, 20 points. He's just not healthy enough. And Harden, Harden only took two shots in the second half of game six. Two. One more than the guy you just traded him for for not shooting enough in the second half against Atlanta last year. It was, other than Maxi and Tobias, Tobias, we give a lot of shit, right? And he deserves some of it. He played really well in that series. I will not take anything away from Tobias Harris. I will not take anything away from Tyrese Maxey because Maxey was a real standout. And I think he could be a real guy next year. Harden, that was an embarrassing effort effort by him. 
not carrying the load when your teammate, when your MVP teammate is down, when you used to be an MVP. And he talked about, oh, I wasn't getting the ball back in the second half of game six. Motherfucker, you brought the ball up. What do you mean you didn't get it back? Just shoot it. It's not like you're being guarded out there by like prime Scottie Pippen. The Heat are good defensive team, but theoretically James Harden should be able to score on them. So long story short, I'd say the reason what happened to the Sixers was Embiid got hurt and Harden's not capable of taking his game to the next level at this moment in time. And I think that's what fucked them over. So are Embiid and Harden a fit you think could actually work long-term or at least the next year? It just depends on how Harden takes this offseason, right? Does he take it to rest and get that hamstring? If the, it, I think it all depends on James Harden because Embiid is unstoppable, right? He scored 20 points despite not being able to sh- despite having a sprained thumb on his shooting hand and despite his face being broken. The man is a tank. And I just, I think it's all about Harden because Harden is a really good pick and roll maestro, right? But Embiid doesn't like to roll. Embiid likes to pop. Harden's never really played with a popper like that. Maybe he, I don't know. He didn't play with Kelly Olenek. (laughs) But... He's never really played with a guy that likes to go to the three-point line or go to the elbow extended inside the two-point line. He's always played with like hard rollers, right? Like Dwight Howard, Clint Capella, you know, Nick Claxton, right? Nick Claxton isn't on the level of those first two guys, but I'm just trying to think of other guys he's played with. So it's just, I don't think he's played with a pick and pop big guy since Nick Collison. And you know how long ago that was? That was 10 years ago. It's all about Harden to me because Embiid, Embiid will come back next year after having this thumb surgery, his face will recover. He's going to average 30 points a game again, probably. It's all about Harden. And I, I just, I don't trust him. I really don't. And the Sixers are going to face an interesting financial decision because they could offer him a contract that pays him $60 million when he's like 37 years old. I'm not giving him that much money. There's absolutely no way in hell. Yeah, and it's interesting because thinking back to Brooklyn, the short time that we saw those three guys play together, you know, there was a lot of doubts about how it could work because, hey, there's only one ball, a lot of people would say. And really, if you think about it, when it was really good, it was because Kyrie changed how he played. KD should never change how he plays, and he didn't. And there's really no reason for him to ever do that because, you know, it's not like he's like some guy that dribbles for 20 seconds anyway to get a shot. But Kyrie changing how he played is actually what made it work for Harden. And Embiid also should not change how he plays. But there's not there's not some third guy really that could change how he plays in Philly that would make a big difference. Like you could say Maxi maybe, but I think the way Maxi plays could easily work for another guy. I just don't know if Harden's that guy. Like, I think the way Maxi plays is actually not super different from Kyrie. And maybe if he became just more of a facilitator, it would work. I don't know. But it doesn't, it, like, Embiid and Harden almost are like the same player, just at different positions. 
And I feel like having those two on the same team, I don't know. It just feels a little clunky. I think clunky is a good adjective to use there because they're going to, they're going to kill teams in the regular season, right? As soon as Harden started playing after the all-star break, they played three teams, right? I think they played the Knicks twice and they played the Timberwolves. We saw the Timberwolves were really good. They destroyed the Timberwolves and needless to say, they destroyed the Knicks, right? After those three games in the regular season, it was a little shaky for the Sixers. They had some issues gelling, and I think this could be just like an issue where they just need an offseason together, right? Like they just need to get in the lab together and work on the pick and roll. They need to get in the lab together and work on entry passes, right? Even though I think Harden's a really good passer. Um it just I think your point about Maxi is well taken. I think he could play like a Kyrie Irving, where he just all he has to worry about is shooting, right? He's not a play starter, he's a play finisher. And he was really good these playoffs. I think Maxi, when the contract extension time rolls around after next season, if he has another playoff run like this, he might be a max guy. Like, he's been pretty good for a second-year player. He's... Dylan, we weren't super high on the 2020 draft. I wouldn't listen to this conversation, but you could, like... Or I wouldn't agree with you, but you could tell me you think Tyrese Maxi is better than Tyrese Halliburton. I wouldn't look at you crazy, right? I feel like... I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't agree with it. I still think Halliburton's better than Maxi, but you could tell me that and I wouldn't think you're absolutely crazy. So, it again, it all boils back to will Harden do what he needs to do to be in the best shape for himself and his team? And I, I think the answer to that question is pretty clearly no. Like, he hasn't really taken great care of his body to begin with. He's played so many minutes in Houston. <laughs> Like so many minutes. He played 3,000 minutes one year, Dylan. <laughs> How many guys are playing 3,000 minutes anymore? So it just, I don't think it favors the Sixers. I think I heard a report too that Embiid wanted Beal instead of Harden. I think yeah. Beal would have been a more clean fit. It could have been more like a Kobe Shaq dynamic where this is like Shaq and. I don't even like this would be like Shaq and like Steve Nash if Steve Nash could score 30 points a game, but decided not to. I think I just feel like there's a weird dynamic there and Harden needs to get himself sorted out because otherwise there's no like if he's right, they could win a championship next year. But I think no one will bank on them winning the championship because it's a fair question to wonder whether or not he'll be right coming into the year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting to see how this trajectory for the Sixers has gone really since the hinky days because the whole point was to get guys like this, you know. And, and they've had guys like this for years now, and it's still not enough. They still can't get over – like not even get to the finals, like they can't even get to the conference finals, you know, and really give it a run. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how it's gone, you know, with Maury now in charge and he's, he's got his guys, he's got his coach and it's still not enough. So it's going to be interesting to continue to watch over the next couple of years to see how this plays out. Oh, for sure. And 
they I feel like this is always a need for the Sixers because it's been a need every year. Joel's been good. They need to get a good backup center, right? Is there a star out there? They can like not a star, but is there a guy like who is like Drummond? Drummond was the absolute best case scenario for a backup center for them. He was coming off an incredibly down year an incredibly down playoffs where his stock was at an all time low. And I think Drummond's going to get like a mid-level exception this summer. He's not going to get like a max, but he's probably going to get 10 million from somebody to be a starting five. He's, I think that's, I think that's fair for him. So can you get somebody like, could you convince the Hornets to give you Mason Plumlee? Right. Mm -hmm. I think Plumlee, It'd be funny if he ended up being backups for the both of the top five centers. <laughs> but can you convince you need a guy who's a starter caliber to come off the bench? And those guys are hard to get to convince to come off the bench. Right. And when you can convince them to come off the bench, usually that means they're not good enough to be starters anymore. So I'll be curious to see who they can get to back up Joel. Maybe they get a small ball five. And maybe they try something different. I don't know. Maybe they ch- go to the Grizzlies and say, hey, we'll give you a first round pick. Give us Brandon Clark. I don't know. Something like they just need to try something at the backup five. But what's your next question, Dylan? Yeah. So let's move out west now. Um, and I've got three questions and we'll see if more kind of sprout as we go along. I'm going to do it the opposite way. Now I'm going to, I'm going to work from the bottom. So like the teams that kind of left first and the first team is the nuggets. And it, it's really surrounding Jokic and how much he kind of had to shoulder um, because this nuggets team, like it's been a team that we've loved for years and I continue to hammer like they're a finals team when healthy but Murray just never like really came back. Right. So it was just Jokic and Faku. Like it, it seems to always end up like that. At least the past couple of years where it's Jokic having to do an insane amount of work. And this time was not able to really make much headway. So I think Murray, I think an important thing to remember about Murray and Kawhi. You have to remember that last year, the season was much later than it usually is, right? So Murray tore his ACL with about a month to go in the season, but a month to go in the season in a regular year is in March. He tore his ACL in April last year. So the timeline, I don't know if he would have came back if he tore his ACL in March, by the way. The timeline was kind of messed up in that regard. And then, you know, Porter had that elbow thing. I don't, some arm related injury, but he missed the majority of this year. I think he only played nine games and he looked terrible when he was healthy. And Jokic, like you said, was by himself. I do think I, they didn't have enough firepower, but they weren't not scoring points. That wasn't the issue for me with Denver in that first round. The issue for me with Denver was their lack of depth of defensive players at that guard spot, right? And it's hard to guard the Warriors, especially when you have a t- when you're when you're a team that has a guy like Jokic. I will grant that. But Dylan, they like, are you going to go to war with Austin Rivers and Monte Morris banking to stop Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson? I think they, the Warriors probably could have won that series without Steph because pool would have destroyed them. Right. 
I don't think Clay was fully there in the first round. Steph was amazing off the bench. They just, for me, that's their issue right now, is that they built their team to stop LeBron and Kawhi, right? But think about the the flavor of the month in the West right now. Who's the top guards? Obviously, I think they're pretty well equipped to stop this. I think they're pretty well equipped to stop the Mavs. They're not well equipped to stop. They couldn't stop Dame in last year's playoffs. They couldn't stop Steph. They couldn't stop. Um, who else could they not stop? They couldn't stop the Suns, right? Guards are what's in vogue in the West right now, not big forwards. All the big forwards are in the East, right? So in the finals, theoretically, you have a better shot, but you have to get through the West first. And even if Murray comes back, Dylan, I still I need to see them be able to guard the perimeter, like be able to stop guards. I think there's a couple easy solutions. Gary Harris is a free agent this summer. And I don't think anyone was happy to see him go in 2020. Bring him back on a minimum. He was pretty good for Orlando this year. Eric Bledsoe, I think he has $3 million guaranteed on his contract. He's probably going to get bought out by the Blazers. Just bring him in as a backup point guard. Just so you can have a different look to throw at people. Because they have, like you said, they have a finals caliber team. But the only way I could see them getting through the West next year is like, you have to play... <laughs> Like, let's just say you play the Lakers in the first round, Clippers in the second, Mavs in the third, right? Then you can worry about your matchups in the finals. But Dylan, I just, I feel like their guard defense spot is really bad right now. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has been an issue for some time. I mean, Murray has never been a good defender, probably never will be. So even when he's out there, you still kind of have that problem where you're just hoping to score points, which they can do. But, you know, Jokic has become a better defender over the years. But MPJ, I don't know if he – I don't know what it is. Like, does he not have the IQ to be a good defender? Does he just not want to? Because there's something about him that seems so distant on defense. Maybe the answer is just trading him. Like as crazy as that sounds, maybe you just it's are like, crazy. okay. We maybe. we talked. We you were just talking about Beal to the Sixers. I've been talking about Beal to the Nuggets for years, and MPJ has grown his kind of value enough where you could do that and other stuff, and get Beal or someone that's just a better fit on both sides. I think, I think that's not out of the realm of possibility. I think it's not something to be taken for granted. And then they might be the most unstoppable offense in the West and they might just win. For me, I thought the Warriors won. They had great defense, but I thought the Warriors won more so like through the whole course of the playoffs. I thought their offense was unstoppable and that led their, it made playing offense against them harder. So I thought that was a little, or yeah, it made playing offense against them harder because you were working so hard on the defensive end. So the Warriors were so complimentary of Jokic after that series. Jokic deserves, he got cooked a little bit on defense, but that's to be expected, right? I think the key for this Nuggets team going forward will be, can they, will they be able to put up more of a better fight against players going forward? Or will they, you know, be just so dominant? They outscore everyone. I think Dora B. I think they should go through Dora. 
I think door B is the more likely option. And I, I want to see how that goes. Jokic in the first round, 31 points a game <laughs> on 57% from the field. And Draymond was playing excellent defense on him. Like they were trying to end that series quickly and they did, but it wasn't, it wasn't due to Jokic's lack of trying. I'll just say that like they 31 points, 13 rebounds, six assists. He was doing great that series. So I, there's literally nothing else he could have done. He did a phenomenal job. Any other nuggets thoughts before we move on? Well, there's the whole Tim Connolly thing. Yes. So we should talk about that. The, the fallout with that, where, I mean, Masai and then Connolly, like two really good GMs built good teams gone just like that. And, you know, again, as we just discussed, like this is a Nuggets team that, and it's, it's mostly injuries, but has kind of underwhelmed the past few years after that 2020, you know, West finals run. And now, now, you know, a big piece of that is gone. So what, what's the fallout of that? It just depends on how the new guy, it just depends on how the new guy does. Right. Well, cause think about it. Not only did they let those two go, they also let Arturish Karnishevis. I think I'm saying that right. They let Arturish Karnishevis go to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think Denver, I've said this to you on multiple occasions. I think Denver is the best organization in the league, probably like, and that all starts with Connolly because I'll say, I, I can't say they're the best because they're not willing to send in the luxury tax like they should. So that automatically disqualifies them. They're one of the best at finding talent though. They find like, think about all the talent just in the Northwest division, right? Just in their own division, Portland has Nurkic, the 16th pick from the 2014 draft. You have Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt in Minnesota. OKC, they didn't give anybody. They gave, they handed Utah their two best players, both of them. Both of them were Denver picks. Now, those were more incompetence from the Nuggets, I'll say, but it doesn't change the fact that the Nuggets have made every other team in that division better <laughs> the last half decade because they just have, they are too good at drafting and developing talent. I think, honestly, Dylan, I think it's more of a win for Minnesota to come away with Connolly than it is a loss for Denver because I trust the infrastructure that Connolly left behind. And I'm sure he didn't br- like, he, he didn't bring his guys with him. Right. It's not like Maury where it felt like everyone except Raphael stone went to Philly or to a new place, right? Like where Monty McNair ends up in Min- or Sacramento and other people end up other places. It feels like he left a lot of his guys in Minnesota because he's letting um, Sachin Gupta stay on as the general manager. So, I think it'll be interesting to see what how Denver approaches the offseason. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until I see otherwise. I think Minnesota came away with a haul because I don't know how much you caught out that series. Anthony Edwards is a star, right? He's a bona fide star. He is going to be the best player on that team next year, probably. If not already, he is an incredible player and getting off of Russell. So you have a core, right? You have Edwards and you have Towns. You need to get off of Russell and you need to, you need to just get better along the margins, right? But you have the star. You have the hardest thing to get in the sport, a bona fide perimeter star. Now you, now you just got to figure out what to do with them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed. I didn't really get to see much of them, but I mean, we talked about Anthony Edwards a ton last year. It was pretty clear that he was going to be that guy, you know, and I'm happy that Towns finally has a good running mate and definitely interested, interested to see what Connolly does around those margins, because I feel like, um, I feel like Denver's depth was always like decent, you know, like they were always able to get, get pretty good supporting cast. Um, and there's some guys already in Minnesota that I think could be difference makers. Like, I don't think they have to rebuild, you know, their entire supporting cast around those guys. Like I think they have a good start. So now it's kind of just get a point guard. And I don't know how you feel about their situation before, but maybe, upgrade there if necessary i like vanderbilt but he's probably not going to get it done all by himself it'll just be interesting to see what direction they approach all this stuff at because there's a lot of room for maneuvers in minnesota and they i think that Minnesota should be taken a lot more seriously depending on how they approach because they have a first round pick too. And that's something Connolly is really good at. He's been a really good drafter. I mean, Vanderbilt. I don't think he even drafted Vanderbilt when I think about it. He, Michael Porter Jr., uh, he had like one whiff and that was Moutier. And obviously the Tyler Lydon for Donovan Mitchell trade was bad. <laughs> but. I don't think anyone saw Donovan Mitchell becoming what he became out of Louisville. I don't think that's fair. I mean, he developed a lot of undrafted guys. I mean, PJ Dozier became a good player. He tore his ACL, which sucked, but he became a good player. Um, Torrey Craig really found a home in Denver. Just so many guys they found through the years. I trust. I, I think Connolly is one of the best around the margin guys in the league. And if the new ownership group is willing to spend another tax on a consistent basis, I think they're going to be dangerous for years to come. What do you got next in terms of questions, Dylan? So progressing through the standings here, uh, I feel like the Suns deserve a conversation. Oh, buddy. Um, so the buzz I heard was all surrounding Aiden, basically, and seems like a lot of the blame was placed on him. So is that fair in your opinion and why? So I think Aiden deserves a lot of blame. However, I think this is a, I think there's a lot of blame to be passed around here. And I will preface this by saying um, Chris Paul was injured. Devin Booker was injured, but if you're out there playing, you know, you deserve flack, right? Like we gave Kyle Lowry flack, even though he was pretty clearly injured. If you're out there playing, you don't have that excuse. Right. I think that's pretty, I think you and I would both tend to agree with that. So Booker, I don't remember what exactly he, I think he injured his shoulder or I don't remember what he injured exactly, but he missed a couple of games in the uh, Pelican series and he came back from that series. He was a no show in game six. Cause they won game six against new Orleans because Chris Paul went, had a legendary first round Chris Paul performance. Right. I think games three through seven, I would put half of it on Aiton, half of it on Chris Paul. Aiton wasn't punishing switches the way he was last year. Remember last year when 
the Clippers tried to go small against them, and they won that series because Aiton was just a monster inside. That guy wasn't there this year. And that guy was bullying players who are better equipped to guard him in L.A. than they were for Dallas. Dallas didn't have, like, Maxi Kleba is not the same caliber of defender as Marcus Morris is guarding post-ups. I don't really think it's close. And I feel like Chris Paul, (laughs) the last five games of that series, you remember how bad he was, Chris Paul was against the Lakers last year? When he like, it was the same thing. He was turning it over. He was, they won the first two games pretty comfortably. The Suns did. After that, it just felt like the Mavericks were in control, even though they got blown out twice. You want to talk about a bad series. That was a bad series. Every, I think there were only two games decided by single digits. <laughs> it was not fun basketball to watch. The only reason game seven was riveting is because everyone on the Suns just felt like they quit, except Evan Booker. But here's the thing with Booker, right? I thought the Mavericks, I give the Mavericks credit for this more than the Suns blame for this the Mavericks guarded Booker they just trapped the living hell out of him right and they're like okay we're gonna dare all the rest of you to beat us and none of them did and it was a brilliant gamble by kid who by the way I think he's a really good coach now I'm not shocked but I'm not shocked like if you told me in 2011 Jason Kidd would be a really good coach I would not have been shocked if you told me in 2019 I think Kidd was a really good coach I would have told you your case because he's gotten so much better as a coach devising those schemes. And I thought they took Booker out of it. And I thought Chris Paul just wasn't the second star that they needed. Right. Like you need that second star when your first star is taken out of it and they didn't have that second guy. Yeah. That that's interesting to hear about kid. And uh, we'll talk about the Mavericks in a little bit, but I mean, with the Aiden thing, and you know, you just really gave a lot of other reasons, or like besides Aiden. Um, but like, is this is it a situation where he should like actually be traded? Because it seems like that's another conversation happening. I feel like it's pretty like insane, considering he was a huge part of the reason they just made the finals last year. But obviously, there's more. There's money involved and all that. So I'm curious to know what you think about that. I don't think they should trade him. He's a 23-year-old center who, like you said, was a very key ingredient in them making the finals last year and was definitely not the reason they lost, right? He got cooked by Giannis. So does everyone else. Al Horford guarded Giannis the best I've ever seen anyone guard Giannis. And Giannis averaged 35 points a game. So that shouldn't be your demerit, right? I saw an article, someone say, I think it might have been Jake Fisher in Bleacher Report. He reported like the Suns kind of viewed Aiden as expendable once they saw the level of success Bismack Biombo had in the regular season with Chris Paul. And that's not the lens through which they should be viewing their team building because Chris Paul is old, right? Chris Paul turned 37 in these playoffs. It's funny, they played on his birthday. Chris Paul from game three till game seven. Nine points a game, 5.8 assists, 3.6 turnovers. 
I just think they're looking at it through the wrong lens. They need to be looking at it through the lens of, oh, hey, we have this young dynamic center who's, yeah, he's not the best center, but in terms of playoff basketball, he's about the best we can do, right? Short of just go, short of just playing Jay Crowder at the five. But I don't think that's sustainable. You need someone. And yeah, he was inconsistent these playoffs. I think a lot of that just has to do with he needs to, I think him and Monty Williams didn't get along. Like reading between the lines. I don't know if you saw the press conference after game seven. Because DeAndre Ayton only played 17 minutes in game seven. And he was on the bench for the majority of that game. And after the game, they're like, hey, Monty, why did DeAndre only play 17 minutes? He's like, internal. He said like maybe a word more than that. But I think he said internal matter. So maybe DeAndre just didn't like playing for Monty Williams, which if that's the case, that's not a good sign. Cause I think Monty, I'm not saying he's soft. He's probably softer than some other coaches around the league. Like, let's just say he goes to Detroit. Who would you rather play for knowing what little we know about them, Dylan? Would you rather play for Monty Williams or Dwayne Casey? Hmm. That's interesting. I think I'd rather play for Monty. Probably. Yeah. Just based on what we know about them. Like, I feel like. Monty doesn't seem like a guy that you would really have many issues with. Yes. So maybe that's a character concern for DeAndre. But I, I just personally think JD would disagree with me on this, by the way. I think JD is ready to ship eight and out of town. Um, He has a short leash with centers as we've seen. I mean, to be fair, I think everyone should. Right. Yeah. I think one thing the Suns are getting right is I don't think centers aside from the top two are worth the max investment. Right. Yeah. And that's including Carl Anthony Towns and Bam Adebayo, two excellent basketball players. I don't know if they're worth the max investment because think about it. In order for you to stay on the floor in the playoffs, you need to be able to slide your feet on defense. You need to be able to take advantage of mismatches and Bam Adebayo we didn't really talk about this. Bam was awful through the majority of these playoffs. He showed up in game seven. He showed up in game three. He showed up in the first two games of that and beat there. If you put size on Bam out of bio, you're neutralizing him. And that shouldn't be the case. Bam should be driving by those guys. Bam was pretty much anonymous on offense. Obviously on defense, you get the whole Bam experience, but the way you're paying Bam, he has those offensive expectations, right? So I think if the Suns are getting anything right about this situation is that maybe he's not worth max money, but I would still be hesitant to just give him away to like, (laughs) I would be hesitant to trade him to Portland, right? Or somewhere like that because, or Indiana, like if you trade him to Indiana, like Miles has got, we both agree. Miles has gotten a lot better through his time in the NBA. You in particular are an avid Miles Turner defender. I don't think Miles is solving their toughness inside problem as much as we both like him. And that's okay. It's not something he's expected to do, but if he gets traded to Phoenix for DeAndre Ayton, that's going to be something that's expected of him. So I, I wouldn't get rid of Ayton just because I don't feel like there's a better path. Now, if he demands out, you got to get rid of him and try to get the best. You like you, you can't take what the Pelicans got back for Lonzo. Surely you can get better than that. 
but I personally, I don't think it's a good idea to trade him at all. Yeah. I feel like toughness inside is what almost every team looks for at some point or another. (laughs) I mean, there's not a ton of centers in this day and age that are bringing that. So, and the thing with centers that I've always kind of said is like, there's going to be one hole. Like it's, even if you look at Jokic and Embiid, like they're not perfect players, you know, it's there, there's something in their game that's, that's not perfect, but those teams kind of work around it. And they kind of figured out last year, you know, what to do with Aiton to make him as good as he was. And, you know, maybe defensively, there's only so much you can do with that because I don't know, like scheme wise, it, it's, it's just hard for, I mean, you can make a center really good on defense. Like we talked about Miles Turner, how like scheme really depend or determines how good like he can be on the defensive side. Um, and like, I don't know, I feel like the money thing is different, obviously, but like, yeah, he shouldn't get the max. And as you were talking about that, I almost, I was thinking about running backs and how like running backs and centers are almost the same where it's like, they have the great value, but you also have to put a cap on what they make because they're not changing like you're not going to the Super Bowl off a running back. And the Titans have proved that. Like with Derrick Henry. They tried, they were really close, didn't do it. Most centers are not bringing you to the finals unless it's Jokic. I don't even know if Embiid could really do it. Jokic, I think, probably could. But outside of those two, it's just the best you can get. And Aiden, I feel like, offers a lot of positive things. And I don't know, maybe there's some weird internal stuff going on, but it seems dumb to trade him. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch this offseason because, like, this Suns team, we were in love with them like a year ago, and now it seems like things are kind of starting to rip apart already. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. The Suns kind of artificially limited their window, right? By I'm trying to find the right way. Like, what's the right analogy to use? Like they hooked their trailer right to the Chris Paul train, right? And the Chris Paul train has a lot of miles on it. You know, it's pretty old and yeah, it could get you kind of far, but in a couple of years, you wouldn't be surprised if it broke down. Right. And that's Chris Paul. He just has a lot of tread on his tires to begin with, let alone, you know, age 37 now like we're i i think a lot of the kyle lowry stuff we saw in the last round was due to his age he's kind of getting up there he's had a lot of bumps and bruises on his body a lot of tread on those tires gone and i think the same thing i wouldn't be surprised dylan if in the next year or two chris paul just completely falls off and then you're looking at one of the worst contracts in the nba right and they have an out in year three i don't think or year four. I don't think year four is guaranteed at all, but like, let's just say he falls off the cliff next year. That means you still got one more year of paying Chris Paul. That means you're probably going to have to attach a first round pick just to get a player back for him. Let alone us. You're not getting a star back for 37 year old Chris Paul. No one's going to in their right mind want like, Oh, Hey, 
I'll take Donovan Mitchell off your hands. <laughs> you want 37 year old Chris Paul? That's not going to work. So I think they've kind of limited their ceiling in that sense. And I think if you want to continue your success afterwards, you need that core group, right? You need that core group. I think their core right now, their young core, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson. Those last two guys aren't particularly that young, but they're relatively fresh in terms of NBA seasons, right? You need that four to be your four going forward. I don't know if I don't know if they're willing to do that. And that's that's the problem with the Suns. Yeah. So we're going to see, I mean, the Chris Paul trade, I think like, it's hard to say it didn't work out, you know, for sure. For, for what, for what they came from to what, and what they gave up to what they're at now. I mean, we all know Ty Jerome is on a hall of fame path and that's going to hurt to miss out on. But um, I, I'm going to refuse my urge to ask about the jazz because fuck them. They're blowing it up. Everyone's gone. And we can just settle on that. But my last question, and this in my notes is very, very specific. Mavs, question mark, question mark, question mark. Because what the fuck, okay? I was a believer in this team for two years. They did nothing. They lost to the Clippers both times. It was really depressing for me. And to be fair, most of that hinged on Kristaps Porzingis. And he just never was what they needed him to be. So they trade him. And, like, it was a good trade. You know, they got good pieces back. But pieces that you would not think were the difference makers between them making the West Finals and not. So why did they make the West Finals? (laughs) I'll give you two words. Kawhi Leonard. They did not play Kawhi Leonard. Do you remember how Kawhi killed them last year? I, I, oh, yes. I, I, I'm just going to read you the stats again because it's been a while since we talked about that series. In that series, he averaged 32 points games, eight rebounds, four and a half assists. You know, pretty good numbers. He shot 61% from the field, Dylan. 61% from the field. And now I will say another factor why. I think not playing Kawhi is a huge reason, right? Kawhi and Paul George. I think another reason is, is that unlike Denver, they understood that they needed to get better on perimeter defense, right? So who do they bring in? They bring in Reggie Bullock. They empower Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith has, I think he's legitimately, he had a case for all defense this year. As crazy as that sounds. He got a lot better as the season went along. Same Reggie Bullock was a really good defender, right? So those two, you improve your perimeter defense and, Think about who they played the first two rounds. They played the Jazz. Their offensive hubs are Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson. Shut those down. And by the way, Mike Conley, who he might be done. <laughs> he was looking bad in that playoff series. So get round two, offensive hubs, Paul and Booker, right? They shut down Chris Paul for the better part of five games. I think that to me is another difference Dylan where your team just got so much better through the course of like yeah they traded Porzingis I think that had a little bit to do with it but Dinwiddie to me I think Dinwiddie next year is going to explode right his legs he's getting his legs back now 
And next year, like, I think he's going to be the guy we saw in Brooklyn, right? The guy we saw being a really consistent player for the Nets before he tore his ACL. So I think he, first of all, I think he came back too soon. I think he tore his ACL in January and came back in October. Mm. I think he came back way too soon. You saw him start to get his legs through the course of the playoffs and they only won one game against the Warriors. And that's, that leads me to my other thing with the Mavericks. I think, I think they didn't get exposed by the Suns the way the Warriors exposed them. The Suns, Dylan, you know this, the Suns are almost allergic to going to the rim, right? They love to stop at that elbow area and pull up, right? Especially Chris Paul. Chris Paul doesn't want to go to the paint anymore. He wants to ISO you, get you one-on-one, settle around that elbow area and shoot it, right? The Warriors were willing to take advantage of that by taking it hard to the rim every single time. And I told multiple multiple people, I brought this up on multiple power hours as well. Steph Curry was amazing driving the basketball in that last series because they were hard trapping him every single time. I thought the point of attack defense on Steph was, was brilliant by Kit. But the problem was is that there was no resistance going to the rim. So Curry marched to the rim, kicked it to a guy who kicked it to another cutter for a dunk, right? They need to find some semblance of a rim protector. I think Mo Bamba wouldn't be a bad proposition for them. I don't think Mitchell Robinson's a free agent. He might not be a bad get for them. They just need someone who can like eat minutes at the five and allow that Kleba lineup to be explosive, right? I don't think they'll trade for Miles Turner. I don't think they have what the Pacers want, but he would be a good get for them. I think Miles Turner is the platonic ideal of what they want because he can shoot like Kleba, but he can defend the rim better than almost anyone in the league. I just feel like the Mavericks need a lot of things. (laughs) And I think one of the reasons they made it to the conference finals to answer your original question I just felt like their competition this year was a lot lot easier for them than playing the Clippers. I told you last year, I thought the Clippers were the best team in the West when they were healthy. I was pretty consistent about that all season. And even this year, if they were healthy, I think they could have won the finals. I think they're that good. I think they can guard anybody, right? And that's saying something. I just feel that maybe the competition this year was a lot easier for the Mavs and Luca was just able to be unstoppable until he wasn't against the Warriors. Yeah, I was a big Clippers supporter as well, but they were just never. It just wasn't in the cards this year. Um, but it'll it'll be in the cards next year. So the Mavs better get get some uh, some fortifications here. But the Mitchell Robinson that really piques my interest because you know I'm a fan of Mitchell Robinson and. It's been really inconsistent in New York, um, which I think about every player that's ever played in New York, you could say the same thing about. Um, so it's probably not super fair, but he seems like a guy that would be so good in that situation. I mean, I, I really think like when healthy, of course, he is really awesome. And he has moments where he's dominant on both ends of the floor for small stretches. And the Mavericks have kind of built their team. It was more of a Carlisle thing, but it seems like it's kind of transferred into the kid era too, where the center is really never that big of a deal. And I feel like a Mitchell Robinson type would fit in nicely to that, where 
he doesn't have to do that much, but at the same time can make a big difference. And you could say the same about Mo Bamba. Like I still have some, I still like Mo Bamba. And I think he's definitely gotten better over the past few years, but Mitchell Robinson, Bamba, like those kind of bargain bin centers, I think would be really good for them. And I'm really happy that Kleba continues to just be awesome. I, I just love that guy. <laughs> Here's, I have a question for you. I know you weren't able to follow the playoffs, so I'm just going to read you some stats. Jalen Brunson, as I'm sure you've heard, is an unrestricted free agent this offseason. In the first round against the Jazz, he averaged 28 points a game. Pretty good. Second round averaged 19 points a game on a lot, on very decreased efficiency 45% from the field, 25% from three. Conference finals, five games, 46% from the field, 40% from three, 18 points a game. If you're the Mavericks, are you going all out to try to keep him? Are you trying to do a, like facilitate a sign trade? What is your plan? Like if you're the Mavericks, do you bank on a six, one point guard being the answer next to Luca? I don't think so. I think with Dinwiddie and hopefully a healthy Tim Hardaway, you're probably fine. I think Brunson, like, I don't know. I feel like if you keep Brunson, Hardaway's definitely gone. So, I mean, that's maybe okay. Like, that may be the path to go. Uh, But Brunson's market is going to be pretty deep, you would think. And I've always liked Brunson. I've never loved him. Like, he's a guy to me that he has to be playing next to a Luca type of guy, I think, to be really effective. Like, if he went the Jeremy Grant route, I think it would just be a bad team. Like, maybe he'd score 25 points a game, but it'd be, like, 40% shooting, and the team would not be a playoff team, you know? Like, that's the type of player I think he is. Like, he, he should be your second, third, fourth best guy on a really good team. And... You know, the Mavericks could do that. But again, like that may be the only thing they'd be able to do. And I guess they don't have too many holes. Like you could get that center with like the mini mid-level or whatever their cap situation would allow them to get, you know, like they could probably make that work. But depending on what the price tag ends up becoming and knowing how the guard market usually goes, I feel like it may get pretty pricey, but if it's like the Lonzo level, I mean, it's not that bad. Like if it was that level, I think it's probably okay. But anything above that would scare me. So I'm looking at the Mavericks salary cap sheet right now. Next year is going to be the first year of Luca's extension. He's going to be making $36 million. He qualified for the Rose rule. So he's going to be making, he has a $50 million player option in 2027. Um, Dinwiddie's making 18. Hardaway's making 19.6. Berton's making 16. Dwight Powell is making 11. And they, I think that's the guy they got to trade. They can't keep Dwight Powell around because he just isn't good. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry. I watched. He's he's cooked. He's had so many injuries at this point. Like, just get him to the Pacers. Let him be a backup for a year, and then he'll retire in peace. Right? I think you struck gold getting Reggie Bullock on such a cheap cheap contract for like, comparative to his value. I thought he was really good in New York last year too. I think we both thought that. Yeah. 
So you just got to find a way to either get a more consistent second score, right? I think if you just get a guy, right? Like Aiden's not a bad target for the Mavericks. What do I think the Suns would trade with the Mavericks? Absolutely not. But I think he wouldn't be a bad guy to try to pursue. Like you just need someone else who can be more of a consistent second scorer. I honestly, I think Luke is so good. You could probably get like a third level, like a, like a good third option and have him be the second option and it'd be enough for him. I think he's that good. Like you could get a guy like Tobias Harris. I think a guy like Julius Randall wouldn't be half bad in Dallas. I know you probably are like, I know you probably hate that idea, but my thing is he doesn't need to be like New York Randall or he doesn't need to be like last year. He just needs to be how he could be how he was in New Orleans and have it be impactful. They just need somebody else to lighten the load on Luca because he was pretty clearly exhausted and he does need to get in better shape, but he was pretty clearly exhausted by the end of this year. Yeah. Like you can say they could get a lower level score. And I was thinking like LeBron's success, he's never had a lower level score. Like it's always been when he's had high level players next to him, you know? So if LeBron needs that, if LeBron needs Kyrie and Dwayne Wade, I don't think Luka could get away with Julius Randle. It's fair. And I don't know, like, it's easier said than done, you know, to get those players. Like, if you have to go with a, you know, a lower-level guy first, it is what it is. But if there's someone available out there, they should probably try to go for that because as we've seen with these star players, if Luca is pissed in like three years because the same thing happens every year and he feels like it's because of roster, then you've got a whole bigger issue on your hands. Like, I feel like you have Luca, you every single off season, whether you win the finals or not, you've got to be looking for someone like that. And they, they're always there. They're always available. And hell, maybe Jeremy Grant is someone they could go after. I don't know. Not that he's necessarily, you know, Kyrie level, but he's close, like not super close, but he's closer than what they have. So I don't know. Like there's going to be, there's going to be players out there this off season and whether you get them or not, you know, at least try. I feel like the Mavericks the past few years have kind of not, gone super hard at making improvements with the roster. And that's why it got to the point where they needed to trade Chris Stapps to make some sort of a difference. So I feel like if the opportunity is there, they should go for it. Very true. It's very true. I think that's all the discussions on the questions you had, right? Cause I think you said you just had three questions for the West. Yep. That's all I got. Okay. So I think we're going to wrap it up, but before we wrap it up, Dylan, I'm going to make you make a prediction. Who you got winning the finals and how many games? Um, I'm saying Warriors in six. I'm really interested to see, like, the thing with the Warriors that I find fascinating, and I found this fascinating for, you know, the entire dynasty here, is they're just so different than we we are used to seeing as a finals team because it's guard-driven. All the finals teams that we've seen over the past decade plus has been LeBron, Giannis, you know, those type of guys, Kawhi. 
it's been big, bigger guys like forwards that that have just dominated. And of course, the Warriors did have KD for a couple of years, but it's so interesting to see that in this instance where you have Tatum and Brown going against these guards. And I'm just interested to see exactly how it plays out. I'm interested to see how the Celtics try to defend them. And on the flip side, I guess how the Warriors defend Boston, even though I think they're more equipped to do that. But Boston has good perimeter defenders too, you know? So it's going to be interesting. I I just think experience-wise, the Warriors are probably going to figure it out early on the way that they can win. Um, But this Celtics team has overcome a lot this season, as we discussed earlier. So it wouldn't shock me if this is kind of Tatum's, you know, moment where he's really stepping into the player that we thought he's capable of becoming. Um, And he really takes that leap. But it also feels maybe a little bit early for that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. I had Celtics in six. I think Tatum has kind of taken the leap, but I think still he's just a guy that, like like I said earlier, he's good for one, three, for four, for 15, you know, five for 18 kind of game every round. But then he yeah. bounces back in an incredible way. I told JD this. This is the first not one-man team the Warriors have played all playoffs. They have had to key in on one guy this whole playoffs. And maybe Gary Payton should be coming back this round after that. I don't know if you saw that. Dylan Brooks committed a very dirty foul on Gary Payton. and But Gary Payton should be back this round. So you'll have him coming back, being able to put some pressure on one of the guys. But I think this is going to be a fascinating – I think it's going to be a chess match. I really do. And I think game one, I think the Warriors will take game one. But after that, I don't know how it's going to go because – I think the Celtics, the Celtics are going to need to get adjusted to guarding the Warriors too. After playing Jimmy Butler, after playing Giannis, after playing KD, now you got to play the movement offense. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, Dylan, you got anything you need to plug? How about you plug the Reverend Payton's big damn band? Yeah. Reverend Payton's big damn band. We're going to be all around the country. We've already done it once. And we will pretty much be doing it this summer as well. Uh, be out in Colorado for a week. We're going to be in New York a lot. Tennessee. We're going to be in Tennessee this year more than probably any other state. Uh, but we're going to be in the Midwest as well. Michigan, Indiana, Illinois. Uh, so, you know, look us up. Catch a live show. See me at the merch table. Uh, and in the meantime, you can check out my newsletter, dylanhughes.substack.com. Trying to be good about posting every week, but not as super successful on that. But give a lot of updates on that newsletter. So that's that's where you can find me while I'm not on this pod. <laughs> Great. Dylan will be on a lot more during the summertime and we'll try to squeeze him in more next season. These last couple of months have been, um, you know, Dylan's been busy. He's trying to figure out his schedule. Maybe next year he'll try, we'll try to have him on more regularly. He'll try to catch more games. But like I said, it's a fluid thing. So 
we'll see how that goes. Make sure you check out the other offerings on the Running Hook Network. We got Lynn Sanity. Um, Caleb and Bryce will be back tonight. I'm sure they will be previewing the finals as well. They've been previewing NFL divisions also, and I don't know which one they'll be doing tonight. Last week, I believe they did the NFC South. So make sure you check that out. And then Circle City Cinema. Zach will be back relatively soon. We're trying to get a big superhero extravaganza together. So we're going to see how that goes. But make sure you check that out. Dylan, it's been a while. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me back. Of course. And I want to thank you all so much for listening. 